If you enjoy listening to the LRB podcast, then you'll probably enjoy reading the LRB. You can subscribe to the LRB from just £1 per issue. To find out more, go to lrb.me forward slash listen. That's lrb.me forward slash listen. Or click on the link in the description below this episode. Hello, and welcome to the London Review of Books podcast. We're continuing with our December readings. This week, Diane Williams reading nine of her stories, which have been published in the LRB since 2015. Diane Williams is the editor of Noon and the author of several collections of short, often very short, stories. Her collected stories were published by Soho Press in 2018. Lamb Chops Cod She had stopped insisting that they have heart-to-heart conversations, but for stranded people, they had these nice moments together, and he had his professional enjoyment at the newspaper. He approved the issues there with a scientific mind, and he made quite a contribution. He was a consultant in the field of efficiency. She should have appreciated that, I guess. I don't know. She felt lonely. After dinner, he would go into his room and sometimes read or do his engraving or follow up on his stamp collection or solve math problems from last year's baccalaureate examination. Once he told me that once a year he reread Our Man in Havana. It had something to do with Havana. You know, petty things. I guess my mother wanted full attention. Not for him to have private time by himself. I don't know what my mother did when she was in her room. She was working. She was working a lot. She devoted herself to family matters, making trouble. But I'm convinced that she did love him extremely. And after he died, she said that that was the fact. Then they did golf together. They did trips. There was a French newspaper that would invite him to solve a technical problem. He was amazing that way. They would play act around the occasion of having dinner. I'm not sure, but I'm afraid they did it for every dinner. She would put on her best gown and wear the diamond ornament, which she felt free to pin anywhere on her garment if it was necessary for the brooch to cover up a soiled spot. He wore black lacquer pumps, silk stockings that went up under the knees. His breeches were tied under the knees, and he would have tails and white tie on. My mother would provide the basic meal, cod or lamb chops. He would provide, oh, he loved to go to the store that was similar to Fortnum and Mason, and buy smoked salmon, cheese, fruit in season, asparagus. They had cocktails at five o'clock. They would listen to the news, and they'd sit down to the table, light the candles. They would have their little feast together. Then after the meal, he'd sit down and, and do work in his room. His French was very good so sometimes he translated manuals from French or the other way around. And before bedtime, they'd have a cup of tea together with a cookie. Oh, he loved an existence of this kind, 
and to eat food. He died while he was still glossy and smooth at the dinner table between the fish with dill, a great favorite, outstanding with butter and the boiled blue plum dumplings. Oh, darling, I'm in the garden. Tell them all to leave, I won't look, her husband had said. he just returned from a visit to town when he said, Tell your boyfriends to leave. Oh, darling, his wife said, I'm in the garden. And she went back outside to stand a moment near the flowering vine, the trained pillar form by the doorway. Not today. None of the boyfriends were with her today, and she felt poorly on account of it. Nonetheless, in the salad garden, she could contemplate the bib, an oak leaf, and the tom thumb, and she watered a potted plant. Then she knelt to snap off its finished blossoms, and she littered the lawn with them. On the sidewalk opposite, she saw her neighbor, Mr. Timmings, embracing his often pincher. She left her yard well prepared to charm either one of them. Inside of the Timmings' abode, the two forgot about the dog and worked hard to put a positive emphasis on one another. Within minutes, she found herself in the correct position as if for sleeping making the minor adjustments of her arms and legs as necessary. This posture has been her salvation, and Mr. Timmings, on his knees, conjoined soon with her overhead. Mercifully, she is free of any diseases, is intelligent, outgoing, confident, and also she tolerates hot weather reasonably well. People who live with her admire her sympathetic nature, although she is not recommended for households with toddlers or small children, and once she's alert, it takes her a while to settle down. With this new greasiness... One of them breaks the routine at the office, usually... Mouths off or sullen every once in a while. The man said, You know why I'm here, Jane. Jane grabbed at the man where some soft flesh is with some force, perhaps because so many persons were no longer in her life, not Titus or Roddy, Mamie or Cecilia Boucher, whom she had checked in with and needed to double check in with often to help her to calm down. But the man jumped away from her. And if she could have placed him on his back in order to slide one arm under his knees, to raise him to her knee, and then to roll him against her breast, she would have. He is the power and light representative for the district and he asked her for a list of all of the electrical items sold in the last six months. So she finished recording the data, except that she confused several of the names of the customers 
entering their first names as last names, and this is one of her busiest days. Another man came in to give her confidential information, and she said to him, among other shrill things, What do you mean? What do you mean? I can't. Come on. God. How does she fare at home? Well, she prepared a variety cut for her supper, not a regular cut. It was a beef heart. The largest and least tender of these cuts, she sliced it very thin and then fried. Later, she squeezed the proper measure of hand cream into the palm of her hand and rubbed at her hands with her head bent low. Because this is the way she does it, and with this new greasiness on her, she's wringing her hands in grief or in greediness or in both. So, may the words of her mouth and the meditations of her heart be acceptable. Come on, God, O oh Lord, and her grabbiness. I'm sure I love and I really. I took notice of the protrusion of my wife's mouth that then drooped and of every buttoned-up button on her clothing and at how she avoided assuming any uninteresting or stiff-looking pose. With both of her arms overhead, she kept on rising on the toes of her feet and then tapping her heels to the floor. We're like this, she said, finally stopping her game. She flung her fists together and said, Now it's time to go. So then we set off to see Nixie Wagstaff, who is to my mind never quarrelsome and aggressive the way we are. Nixie welcomed me by putting the entire side of her head against my chest. But tell me, what kind of an indifferent animal was that? Too big to be a cat, turning its back on us. It was twisting itself atop a woven willow border fence. But Nixie is a warm-hearted girl with a glossy, showy face and a chrysanthemum fragrance that's a bit peppery. She mentioned people's names and nicknames alongside her many comments that began with, I'm sure, I love, and I really, really like, and I know. I went alone into the house and into the dining room to get an all-embracing view of the landscape through the long windows. And on the lawn, I saw the small, sweet forms of the two women flanked by a pair of hornbeams. It was another one of those incidental but unusually pretty scenes that might fulfill for an instant a deep need I have to be blissful. Another such scene, a threesome in a glade with a blossomy border, was faintly pictured on a plate that was stowed upright in a dish cupboard. In another such scene, somebody behind me, 
put an arm across my body at the level of my waist, petted the front of my shirt, and then the darling. And must I need to know which one? Softly laid her hand beneath my belt and let it rest there. Get a grip. In some other similar scenes, two men are fishing, or there is a ruined castle gate with cows, a hamlet with a church tower, or a wide stretch of water with a figure walking dogs on the near bank, sheep, a dock scene with ships, trees in blue and brown and purple, or in shades of red, grasses, clouds, once a donkey, or it's a country house in green, appearing to be entirely natural. Molly went along quickly. Eventually the mother died. My wife was, in spite of everything, very fond of her mother and had saved a dog abandoned at Vaughn's because she said the dog reminded her of her mother. Then why be so careless? Because Molly went up a walkway of stairs with the dog who wasn't on a leash, and using bypass, she, she went far into a part of the park where there were high thickets, and the dog disappeared. So after we had given up looking for the dog and had called the ASPCA, we headed off to get a few things, like some milk and a cucumber. Vaughn at the Palm Superette told us Tiger had just been there and had eaten a meal of sausage slices, and as it turns out, the dog was on his way home. He is a smart dog. He's a cross between a terrier and, and a whatnot, hardly a hair toward the rear end, a shivering mess, and he is constantly peeing on the bedspread and on the table leg. Oh, oh, it's easy to clean up, Molly says. It's nothing. One evening, Molly was on her knees by the bed alongside Tiger, and I observed her enthusiasm and the refined groping Molly was engaged in with Tiger and she said something jumbly to him. I found that suddenly I wanted to accuse Molly of anything, or maybe I wanted to appeal to her for kindness, but I took no time at all to choose between these, and this is a consequence of the deep wellsprings of spontaneity that I count on to feel alive. There were people just like me, I'm sure, among the first humans who rallied themselves to the cause of vibrance and penance. Tiger stood and moved backward, barking, while I said aloud, quite loudly, what amounted to bad luck for all of us. It brought a blight, a disaster. And, confronted by this and other injuries I've caused, Molly has never left me nor have I wandered away. I'm not ready to bow out. I have no idea yet how this matrimonial entanglement ends. Tiger died. He was such an eager dog. 
This morning, we were getting ready to travel. I was going through my things to find my wallet and my passport, and we were very late. And I found that I had this fantastic feeling. I'm looking for something. My hand is on it. The thing I'm looking for. But my hand knew it, that it was not what I was looking for. And sure enough, it was an old passport. Then there was this issue with an old greasy toolbox with spare parts too near the clothing. The toolbox has some importance. The spare parts that peeked out of the toolbox looked like intestines. I want no part of them, yet I knew we had to keep these. Besides, I knew we couldn't get going until I found the passport and the money. But no matter what, I might have already spent the money rashly, although also, probably, with a great deal of care. How much did you ever think the world of me? He'd never quite seen anyone in that state before, even though he has a mother and all that. Today Lizzie is, he thinks, irresistibly plaintive. Then the doorbell jerked the husband to his feet. Does Lizzie live here? Who are you? Where did she go? Where did Lizzie go? Who wants to know? Lizzie meant to answer hurriedly and hotly, but nevertheless stayed hidden. Around here, real and imaginary characters are shockingly always crossing paths. Lizzie clearly identified the lugubrious voice of her first love, a pain in the ass who had become too quarrelsome, who had worked out well in the short run, when he could still be funny. Now she should speak to him, say memorable things. He'll soon be with me, she thought, for his wail had come again at her through the closed door. Then she heard the racket of paper being fought with in an effort to crush it into a ball. Or was that the window blind that was shrieking in the next room while being hoisted against its will, or while it was being let down too swiftly? That sad sack will find me, she thought. Why did she cling to that notion? Because the tree leaves this autumn in Hubbard Woods where they live are falling down as they ought to, because the dead leaves have the life spirit to collect themselves and to push themselves to go to the necessary places? Did Chatty rattle and scatter himself toward me? Did he die? Lizzie asked herself. Have a seat in the big black chair. I had had enough of everything during what I took to be my turn. Can I just pet it, I said, when Tim and I were in bed, instead of my taking it inside? But Tim said no. And then at the task, he pulled himself back and forth inside of me with many repetitions, enough to get to the next step for him, to stabilize the project, 
He was cramming rather a lot into the tiny space. At any rate, in the aftermath, I was catching a partial view of the whitewashed brick wall through the window, and I could see the boxed Dutch blooms that needed deadheading. The first of the daytime light was hitting the flowers hard, like the big sky lightning that doesn't quit suddenly. This life with Tim Dahl had come about abruptly, and while I am on this subject, what compromises must I continue to make? What are my hopes? Think. Tim tells me that his memories sting him to death. I got up, dressed, had coffee, arrived at work, made telephone calls, and sat at my desk on one leg. Then they said, Have a seat in the big black chair, which I did, and Mr. Damien will be with you shortly. Mr. Damien has excellent posture, and he reminds me very much of Tim, who doesn't work here. I had pangs. When Mr. Damien arrived, we talked for more than a quarter of an hour about my new stint to check in freight shipments. The good thing is that my new job is nine to five, since I slow down at five. The sight of Mr. Damien parting his hair with his hand backfired or exploded as far as I was concerned because I guess his reaching fingers were twirling so that I was jittery and I didn't hear every word he said concerning the payroll data. His hair is blonde. His ears are set close to his head. His nose hardly protrudes. His mouth was opening and closing, pouring out the capsule summary of yet another list of my duties. Well, I will try to take pride in a job well done. To enjoy the situation will be an effort of a lifetime. Stick How best to touch these woody objects or a person? She batted together the parts of the sycamore stick she had broken in two, and then she made of them the self-important capital letter T, and she spun one. She rolled the stick over her thumb, and then she tried for greater twirling speed as she sat on the park bench that bore a personalized inscribed plaque dedicated to my dearest Nancy. She is not that Nancy, nor is she a beloved Lara yet, who might have a plan that aims to shore up her heart and her strength with tools and accessories that support her life in the early evening burning summertime in the city. Just do it, she thought, and she put the stick through its paces again. Its athleticism, its success, it seemed to her, could foretell her own, so that it pained her when she had to throw the sticks away. She stood suddenly to walk on, but instead paused to watch the girls at their hopscotch game, 
hop, 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 jump, and bow. They bowed down when they stooped to retrieve their pebble marker. To revive her sense of purpose, the woman was out on the avenue, hugging her little body. Her feet felt pinched inside her shoes, her best shoes. Her stylized hair fell down her shoulders. What else? She put one foot precisely in front of the other, just like the old adage prescribed, just to test what it would feel like. Would this help her to suppose that she was any more determined, any more capable of taking care of herself? She prayed nobody was paying her any mind as this gambit caused her hips to sidle this way, that way, lewdly. In her own home, she had no witness. At bedtime these days, she entered the room alone, in which she and the doer, Don Super, had once slept together. He had so often recoiled from her. Well, oughtn't she be able to reach out to a trusted person with the same confidence she has when she takes up a bar of soap or nudges a chair back? From a distance, she used to watch Super's penis rise because he had made it clear that he had no need for her participation. And although his appendage essentially floated in place, it also looked ready and able to propel itself. What this woman decided on Fifth Avenue in the here and now is that she ought to plow forward and skip. She should not permit her arms and hands to drag down like wet noodles. Tassel Rue The bird's voice was such a thick voice, it could never have been carried away by the high wind. It was a passionate voice, that might have answered the question, what am I living for? Had there only been words to accompany it? And I did get to see the bird out on a limb, opening and closing its mouth, its breast pulsing. Ruby had said, there is the bird that's singing. Perhaps we had gotten this far-flung once before, where we found the beautiful tassel rue that has such an ugly common name, false bugbane, together with large and sharp sawtooth leaves. See the bird, Ruby cried again, and I said, that's maybe a robin, or a robin gone wrong. It had a robin shape, but the coloring was off. Speckled earth tones. It stayed nearby. Turned out it was a wood thrush. It flew away, and then it returned to stand exactly in the same place. Is it lost? Ruby asked. Can a bird get lost? It stood. It stood. But of course it was uninclined to lie down endlessly at her side like a dog. If only I could have said often with clear conscience, I'll go, then I'll be right back for just a minute, and then you will never see me again. 
something like that on so many occasions to some women. A young man in a cap swung around with his back to us when he came into the clearing. He lunged forward, then he drew in the bent leg, lunged again, then departed. He might have been very handsome. You can tell, I think, Ruby said, by how somebody moves that he's a good person. That man, I can tell, is a good person. He's not combative. I thought, no, he's as irritating as a gnat, as I picked at a flower, then picked the flower apart. Some flowering plants provide an inspiration to do what? To be elegant? Swab? I tell myself I am a prominent supporter of Ruby's and well familiar with her tendency toward idealizing. I am actively involved with that sort of thinking too, but not just in dreams. I have been pleading that we stay on together. Do you remember I asked her what we agreed? What we agreed? A complication. She bent her head lower and lower, and at close range in her curly hair, I saw the number six, the letter C, and a fish hook. Hadn't she just been spirited? And, and now she was distraught, and I felt love for her. And on this Saturday afternoon, we were supposed to be recompensed for the week of work, but apparently I had upset her. My purpose is to hold Ruby or to catch or contain or to tame her. I watch sparrows eating, tearing into dandelion buds. A robin was beating his head into the ground, and Ruby kept on with, See that? See that? And what's that? We were hearing a series of shouts from a group of grackles, and the area was piled high with the language of birds. Emerging from the mouth of one of them was a hard passage I wished I could call my own. It had a hammering rhythm and made bold, heroic strokes. I have a terrible tendency toward jealousy. What else? I intend to be unreservedly triumphant in love. That sounds good. Also undefeated in all of the other drastically risky aspects of my life. You can read Tussle Rue in the latest Christmas 2020 issue of the LRB and the other eight stories in our online archive. Also in our online archive, you can read and listen to two more of Diane Williams' stories that we published in 2013 and listen to her in conversation with Lara Pawson, at the London Review Bookshop last year. Go to www.lrb.co.uk forward slash contributors forward slash Diane.